Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Starseed Kitchen Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Foods. This is your source for information to empower you to be a positive seed for change in your community. Join me for conversation where we learn about food, wellness, and spiritual concepts for high vibration living. I'll be sharing my knowledge and learning with you from experts providing insight into nourishing all the layers of you, the physical, emotional, spiritual, and etheric bodies, so you can thrive in 5D. Let's get started. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Emily Diadamo, a naturopathic doctor based in Connecticut. Dr. Emily Diadamo is a third-generation naturopathic physician practicing out of the Center for Generative Medicine in East Norwalk, Connecticut. Dr. D's true love lies in the practice of precision medicine, the paradigm of delivering healthcare that accounts for individual variances in genomics, metabol- I'm going to say this correctly, metabolomics. Emily, do you want to type in? Yes. How do I say it correctly? It's like metabolism with omics on yes. top. So metabolomics. Perfect. Metabolomics, microbiome, and environments. With precision medicine, patient-centeredness is the core philosophy. No two individuals are alike, and their care ought to reflect that. When Dr. D is not being a physician, she enjoys weightlifting, farmer's markets, time outside, and throwing pots at her local ceramic studio. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. D. Hi, thank you for having me. I appreciate you helping me out there with metabolomics. I still can't. I honestly, there are so many words in this profession that we have to practice over and over and over again before anything starts to stick. It's a lot. Well, can you tell me what that is just to kick things off? Yeah, what I can do is actually, so the word omics is kind of um, taking into account for the entire system involved. So when we talk genomics, we talk about the whole genome and we talk about proteomics and that's proteins and protein, protein interactions and the whole kind of protein ecosystem. And metabolomics is the same thing, but for metabolism. So it's all of the different signaling molecules, these pathways and cycles that are involved in generating cellular energy, breaking down the food we eat. And um, metabolomics is kind of the study of each and every player in that enormous ecosystem. Thank you. Sure. So tell me about a little bit more about yourself and what led you to be a naturopathic doctor. Yeah, totally. Um, So I'm Emily. I am a third generation naturopathic physician. I, funny enough, did not expect to become one myself. I was Um, I wasn't really always a science girl. I was very much like a finger painter, daydreamer, not really into math, not into science, couldn't really get a grip on those things. 
Um, so in college, I was a liberal arts major. I majored in psychology and bioethics. So that's kind of where I started dealing with like what it means to exist in a human body and the kind of lived experiences and also how we negotiate issues when it comes to living in human bodies. So the psychology end of things, really what struck me was just behavior and, and what makes people act the way we do. And then the bioethics end of it was um, when we do so, are we always ethical? And when we legislate over other people's behaviors, are we being ethical? Um, so I fell in love with that. And I actually found the most perfect internship for me that really, it was just, you know, one of those like coming of age points of validation for, you know, this is why we work hard is because we love what we do. I worked in a hospital in the Bronx, St. Barnabas, and what it was, was I was a communications intern for um, like an entire delivery system overhaul for Medicaid care. So basically the program was to move patient care from being fee-for-service, so basically you get paid for what you do, to value-based, where all of a sudden you don't get paid for what you do, you get paid for if you did it well. So we tracked outcomes. We really, really prioritize prevention. So um, one of the, I worked with a lot of community-based organizations and a lot of them, so, you know, one, this amazing organization, Air NYC, would actually do home mold testing for children that had increased rates of um, absences in schools because they were making sure that at least from like an environmental standpoint, can we prevent these absences by addressing one of the foundations of this child's health? And I absolutely fell in love with healthcare, um, patient advocacy, patient communications. I realized I actually loved sitting in the room with, with people. Um, so I graduated and I, I dabbled in healthcare PR, kind of on the med and biotech side. And that's where I really found that I was pretty good at reading clinical research and translating that and delivering that to my employers. But I, I, missed, um, I missed the patient interactions. I missed the feeling of you know, generativity, making something happen for like seeing actual results, mm -hmm. um, even just from interactions. So sharing space and holding space for someone. So in a very, I would say emotional kind of overhaul, I sat on my bed and realized I wanted to go to school. And at that point, I wasn't sure if I wanted to get my DO or get my ND and another round of self-negotiation. I, I realized, um, if I didn't get my ND, I would always wonder about the, the levels to which naturopathic medicine can go to. I was familiar with it kind of just through my, my upbringing, but again, that wasn't, I was never really formally taught anything about botanical medicine or, or nutraceutical medicine. It was always just kind of like, that's what it was. And I just very much took it for granted, but I, I realized in that moment, I, I certainly wanted to do it. So yeah, I went to school, loved it, realized I actually love science. I love the human body. I think it's fascinating. I feel like every semester I would have this new class that I was obsessed with that would kind of trump over the last class that I was previously obsessed with. And I, yeah, so we just, I just graduated last year or this year, technically, and I am one third of the Center for Generative Medicine in East Norwalk, Connecticut, which is um, honestly, we're a pretty radical group of physicians. It's myself, my father. So Dr. Peter Didamo, who is kind of our chief medical officer, he doesn't see patients, uh, new patients, just kind of a, a collection of, you know, decades long patients that he sees. And then Dr. Jenny Goto, who is an absolute powerhouse. She's based out of Hawaii, does entire telemedicine. And she's just, I mean, she's an excellent clinician. So yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride to say the least. And I, I just feel immense gratitude. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank so you. nice. Yeah. It's so amazing when you're able to choose your path and then follow through on it and come out the other side and the next adventure begins. Oh, hundred percent. And I think it's, it is the scariest thing you can do because, um, the path is not laid for you, but I know myself and I know deeply, I would always wonder what I, what I could have done. And so it's just, it's, it's this great feeling of actually, you know, it's interesting um, I used to leave that internship and I used to put my head on my pillow at night. I used to feel like very proud of myself, just kind of like I did the, I did my best and what I'm contributing to is good for other people. And I, I do think I chased that feeling of like satisfaction and also like real connection and pride in my work. That's good to hear. Um, so for people that are listening to this conversation and they aren't so familiar with a naturopathic doctor, what's the difference between, you know, your personal physician, a traditionally trained doctor and going to a naturopathic doctor? Right. It does. It varies from state to state in the U S. Um, but a naturopathic doctor or an ND, some people on the West coast call them, uh, NMDs. 
is uh, someone who's completed a four-year program at an accredited institution. So I think there are six or seven of them total. And we learn all of the kind of the didactic courses that underpin like human medicine. So um, anatomy, physiology, pathology, pharmacology. And then on top of it, we have additional courses in botanical medicine, something called phytopharmacognosy. So that's the idea of, all right, you know what the herb does, but you know, what is it or what, what does it look like from an organic chemistry perspective, from a drug herb nutrient interaction perspective? Like what, what is the underpinnings of that? Um, and we also learn a lot about mind-body medicine, some kind of physiotherapeutics. So using therapeutic lights like um, infrared and uh, also ultrasound healing and hydrotherapy. So in kind of putting into context into what other doctors do, in certain states, a naturopathic physician can be a primary care physician. Where I practice in Connecticut, I can't. And I kind of, I actually really love that place for myself because I feel like um, it allows me to inhabit this space where, you know, the average primary care yearly physicals, maybe 45 minutes, but my new patient intake is 90 minutes. Each follow-up is an hour. And if you have a problem, you can get me on the phone or get me via Zoom for 30 minutes. And it's just kind of that in-between that allows people to really explore their health and take, take ownership of their health and also have someone collect all of the data. So, you know, not just from your primary care physician, but from your gastroenterologist, your rheumatologist, all of these different ologists, I, I kind of take that information and hold it for you and um, work with you to generate something that you can do that's actionable, that's helpful, that's healthful in between appointments. That's a great way to look at it um, because it takes time for your body, I assume, to evolve and um, show new symptoms or less symptoms when they start working with a doctor or a naturopath. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need someone to constantly be supporting you and kind of tracking your evolution um, and someone you can go back to in a few years from now when things shift. Yeah. And, and someone that you can actually project into the future with. So, you know, saying you know, nice. my mom has a history of rheumatoid arthritis, doc, I, what can I do now to navigate the potential or, or, or minimize my exposure to things that might increase my risk? And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a wonderful place to sit as a physician because you, you can see, I mean, I, I tell people naturopathic medicine is by no means a quick fix. It's, it's very slow medicine because it's so lifestyle uh, tied. It's so tied to your everyday living and what change that's sustainable happens overnight. So um, it's, it is, it's behavioral, but it's also preventive and it's personalized and it's all of the things that I think if I were to redesign the entire American healthcare system, I would put at the top of the list. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's the safest first step to take when you notice something's off in your body. Right. Totally. And I mean, I think a lot of people are scared about investigating their health. I, you know, I think that's just a natural thing to be intimidated by. And I think if we kind of reframe psychologically what it means to be proactive about your health, where it's like, all right, you don't have to worry about what you see on your lab work is anything that's going to be definitive of you as a human being, because we can fix it. There's always something we can do to be better. And I think that, you know, from a behavioral psychology perspective, I think that really shapes the way that people um, engage with their health outside of my office. And I think that's one of the most powerful interventions itself. So you mentioned that you're a third generation naturopathic doctor. So you grew up around doctors. Mm -hmm. Did that change how you looked internally about your health? So did you find growing up that you tried to figure it out yourself when you, when things changed or you needed support or did you feel like you had somebody that you could go to? That's interesting. I, I, when I was in school, we would be in like botanical medicine classes or, or things like that. And people would be like, you already know this, you know what we're talking about. It's like, no, when I, cause my dad is a naturopathic physician, but that was his job. Like he didn't come home from work and say, you know, this is what berberine does. It was, he was still a dad. Um, so I think in a way I was almost blessed that I got to come to this on my own terms because yeah. There was everyone's every once in a while I'll have someone say, Oh, you have you have shoes to fill. And I'm like, we're wearing two different pairs of shoes. I love his shoes. And I, I certainly think that they are a pair of shoes I'd I'd love to own. But you know, we're 
we're colleagues and we're, he's a mentor to me, but I'm also, you know, we're also family. So there was, there was no pressure. Um, as far as understanding the inner workings of my body, I definitely was very blessed in that my childhood was not laden with illness. I was a pretty healthy kid. Um, but I did find actually in school, when I started to learn the skills of pattern recognition for other people, I, I did start to recognize patterns in myself where I I did start to pick up on things and say, okay, like, this is how I validate this feeling in my body. This is how I can work on this, or, or this is how I would kind of organize this feeling into discussing it at my next appointment with my doctor. Um, instead of just kind of being like, hmm, that's weird today. I feel this way and just never kind of connecting the dots. So I do think, I do think I, I kind of now I, I look at myself a little bit like a clinician, I guess you could say. So you recently opened your practice center for generative medicine. Um, do you feel like there's a, a specialty that people are coming to you or the center for, you know, it's funny actually in school, um, people would, we'd have conversations like, where do you think you're going to specialize? And I would always make the joke and it's like, I can't choose. I cannot choose for the life of me. Um, because I just think, I think the, 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 every single day, it's something that interests me, or it's something that I feel I can be actionable towards, or I feel like I can direct someone to resources that can be helpful for them. So I, I work with a lot of patients that have endocrine disorders. So um, diabetes, PCOS, variances in kind of like hormonal patterns that would be like what you'd expect for a typical body. I also work a lot with cardiology. So people come to me and they say, you know, I have high blood pressure or I have atherosclerosis. My calcium score is this. What can I do? Um, and then, you know, I've had, I've really had a, kind of everywhere. What I have found to be something that I think by word of mouth, people start to come to me towards is, is actually microbiome-based medicine. Mm. So, um, and the microbiome, just so we're all clear, the microbiome is specifically in the, in the gut, at least. It is this entire ecosystem of all of the bacteria, viruses, and fungi that inhabit our small intestine and our large intestine. Hopefully not too much in our small intestine. That's when we start to see things like SIBO. Um, so these bacteria are more than just bugs. They are major contributors to our metabolism. They are major contributors to our neuroendocrine pathways. They are major contributors to our nutrition and our nutrient absorption. They provide anti-inflammatory molecules that then can signal into the gut to say, we're good. This is a really good gut environment. You are robust. You are very safe against insult, and you have like an excellent environment that's really conducive to regular bowel movements and ability to kind of not have systemic inflammation. Mm -hmm. um, so the microbiome is really more than just like G doc. My I'm, I'm bloated after I eat cabbage. It's it's actually looking into G doc. I I my blood sugar is just cannot regulate, and it's like okay let's look at your microbiome or man, I, I just have incredibly heavy periods, hot flashes and night sweats. And it's like, okay, let's, let's see if you have an abundance of bugs that actually unfortunately undo the process of detoxifying estrogen so that it goes back into circulation and you're, you're estrogen dominant. So um, I definitely have seen an uptick in people coming to me for microbiome based stuff. I, and I, I do find that that oftentimes can be what actually pushes the needle towards getting to a state of homeostasis for that person. So with the microbiome, is it genes that are involved with creating our microbiome or is it our lifestyle and our diet or is it kind of all three? Oh, it's totally both. Um, which is, I mean... And the thing is, it's like, we are learning every single day about the microbiome. And I do joke to patients about this. And even I have to, I have to maintain a healthy amount of skepticism towards most things so that I keep learning. But in order to study the microbiome, like a specific bacteria, we usually do it in mice. And what we do is we wipe out every single other bug and we just seed that one bug to see what it does. Very not comparable to human microbiome, but, um, right. So, you know, what we're looking at is kind of like the general expression of what the microbiome does as a whole. And we kind of do look at levels to see like these keystone groups. So the ones that we always want to have, what the ratios of that are versus um, leanness associated bugs, obesity associated bugs, and uh, like uh, pathogenic bugs. So, so bad bugs. Um, so lifestyle is, is certainly something that plays a role in that, you know, 
I've actually seen this a lot recently. So I'll include this is like, I had a patient that came back and she had not like actually pathologic amounts, but she had a high level of this bug called Campylobacter, which is like one of the main causes of like enteritis. And it, it was a simple change. And she would have this kind of diarrhea that just would not go away. And it, this simple change was make sure you cook your chicken more, you know? So it, it is a reflection of your lifestyle because she definitely was maybe not doing the best job of thoroughly cooking chicken. And then that went away. Um, but then on the other hand, there are genes. There's a, there's a gene called FUT2, which is fucosal transferase 2, which basically is what decides if you're a secretor or a non-secretor. And that is the ability to secrete your blood type antigen. So what exists on your red blood cells that makes me an A and other people an AB or a B. Um, and the interesting thing about that is that is like the most delicious prebiotic meal for our bacteria, for our good bacteria. So an inability to secrete that antigen means that you're inherently less able to cultivate a really robust uh, count of bugs like bifidobacterium, which is just critical. I mean, you find that in every single probiotic. So there is such an interplay between genes and the microbiome and also lifestyle. And I find certainly knowing both is what, again, is going to push that needle in the direction you need to go in. But, you know, the 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 combinations, I guess you could say, are, are never ending. Like, you know, the, the math question you would do in class that's like, you have three shirts and four pants. How many outfits do you have? It's like, how many different expressions of your microbiome do you have? Because again, it changes. And within a week, if you made a major change in your life, your microbiome has changed. So that's fascinating. It's, yeah. it, it's fascinating. And it's also understandably, it puts a lot of responsibility on me as a clinician to like constantly be up to date on things, certainly, because the more we're learning, the more we can kind of facilitate change that's lasting. So you mentioned something that, I've always been curious about if, if, or when someone wants to follow the blood type diet and lifestyle, should they make sure to find out if they're a secretor or not a secretor? I do think it is what I do think what it, it can be a huge game changer for people actually. Um, and I'll tell you why is because I find it to be the missing link in a lot of other expressions of like disease in someone's body. So um, not only in the gut are you secreting your antigen, but you're also secreting in any kind of, um, any place you're making secretions. So in your throat, in your mouth, in your nose, in your vaginal canal. So if you're not feeding good bacteria there, that's going to make you more susceptible to cavities, more susceptible for urinary tract infections, vaginitis, bacterial vaginosis, all of these kind of opportunistic infections that happen when we're in a state of dysbiosis or kind of imbalanced microbiome. So if I have someone that comes to me and they just happen to mention cavities and UTIs and, and all of these things, it is a, it's an amazing thing to kind of change the perspective and add some more context, but then also food-wise, it certainly can be the thing that makes a difference in how someone feels every day. That's really interesting. I've always wondered about that because I've always been a fan of eating right for your blood type. I'm a B positive. And when I do follow it like 80, 20, everything in my life flows much easier and I physically feel better for my body. But I was always curious if it was, if I really needed to take it one step further. And that's really interesting to hear. Oh yeah. I think, I think secretor status uh, also when it comes to gut health and what we know, I think secretor status is going to be another kind of major biomarker. It, I mean, it has been in a lot of circles for some time now, but I think just generally speaking in like functional medicine spheres and and, um, you know, these nutrigenomic kind of spaces, I think it's going to be another one of those major biomarkers that becomes something that is just routinely tested. So we're talking about genes. How do genes play a role in the food that we eat or the food that we digest well, or the food that we crave? Do they um, play a role or yeah. is it more the microbiome that we've developed over age? Again, it's like, it's totally both. It's the combination of shirts and pants, but our genes influence the way we crave and the way we pursue and the way we view food. Our genes dictate the way we absorb food and how well we absorb our nutrients. Um, so, you know, for example, there's a gene TMPRSS6, which is an iron transporter. And so I'm always looking for that gene in people who just for whatever reason have anemia. Like they're not really actively bleeding anywhere. They're getting their iron in capsules and foods and they're still anemic. And that one tends to be um, kind of like the risk associated variant for those people. 
And then from a behavioral perspective, um, something I am very interested in as, as a clinician is eating behavior, mm-hmm. especially because I think in, um, in, in my age cohort, I've noticed this especially, but also in older demographics um, specifically, but not not only women, but very much in women is, um, you know, this binge restriction cycle. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's just, it's this thing that it's, um, I always like to reframe it as, you know, sometimes people are just hardwired for this struggle, but there's a gene called BDNF, which codes for something called brain derived neurotropic factor, which is exactly what it says it is. It's derived from the brain and it is a neurotrophic, so nerve growth factor. And we usually release this um, when we do intense exercise. But in addition to stimulating nerve growth, BDNF has been studied um, majorly in, in the binge restriction cycle. There's a um, one SNP, so a single nucleotide polymorphism in BDNF, that literally the only change is just a, a valine amino acid becomes a methionine. And in people with the methionine, they actually, their binging behaviors are way associated to restriction. So all of a sudden it just, it, it provides this context and also um, it provides a level of forgiveness for these behaviors because we say, Hey, like something that is so taboo and, and for many people, so held so tightly and kind of kept quietly, all of a sudden it gives context and it says, we can work this out, which is if you want to stimulate BDNF, go ahead and do some high intensity exercise. Another thing you can do for it. That's great is take some lion's mane mushroom, eat some lion's mane mushroom. And you know, it also kind of helps to break the cycle in the moment. So you're not, all of a sudden, you're not prey to this cycle. You can stop yourself and you learn to reframe and stop yourself and forgive yourself. Um, so that one, I definitely, I, I, I love BDNF as a teaching moment for people. I think one of my major kind of like life goals is to really um, heal this, this generation of disordered eaters, or at least contribute to their healing. I know I'm, it, it's, it requires a lot of hard work and love and community. Another one actually I just thought of is, is COMT, which is catecholomethyltransferase. It's a gene that's kind of at the bottom of our neurotransmitter pathways. And what it does is it kind of, um, when we, when we use things sometimes in the body, we put a methyl hat on them and a methyl is just kind of a carbon with a number of hydrogens on it. And we just put that hat on and the hat says to the body, this is active. So, um, sometimes when this enzyme, which is in charge of putting the hat on or off and different things, it, it does get a little confusing. So I will just say sometimes a hat means on, sometimes a hat means off, depending on the actual thing. But um, COMT is involved in degrading a lot of our neurotransmitters, specifically our stress ones, our catecholamines. So dopamine, epinephrine, and norepinephrine. And this enzyme works at different speeds depending on your genes. So some people are fast, meaning that they just blast through their neurotransmitters. Like one shows up at the COMT door and then just gets carried away real fast. And some others have slow COMTs where like, you know, that enzyme takes its time and neurotransmitters start to accumulate and you still have neurotransmitters actively working for you. So what happens is, is the ones who work fast, they're just done. Like they get epinephrine, they get dopamine for a second and it's gone. And the slow ones, they can't get rid of it. So they get stressed and they can't shake it because that epinephrine is just still there. So um, what's interesting is I think we spend a lot of time discussing the people who still have the neurotransmitters for a long time, the slow metabolizers. But in the group of the fast metabolizers, we see a lot of dopamine seeking behaviors because that dopamine, the second you get it, it's shoveled right out. Got the traffic is taken out every single day. So we do see a lot of people turning to food for dopamine. We do see a lot of people turning to risk behaviors. Um, these are our risk junkies. We call them the COMT warriors. And on the other side, we have the warriors. And um, yeah, so they, I mean, there are so many different ways. There's also dopamine receptors. A lot of these different reward pathways and the genes that encode the enzymes that then kind of facilitate these pathways are where I would, I, I always tend to look when I look at eating behaviors, reward, gratification, um, food, food relationships at large. Um, and again, this is such an expansive field that it's, it's constantly growing. Hi, I'm Chef Whitney Aronoff. As a personal chef, I created custom organic spices for my clients. These blends are of the highest quality with no added sugar, MSG, 
caking agents, or any junk. I want you to have the same access to good quality seasonings, which is why I've launched my line of organic spice blends. High Vibration Foods by Starseed Kitchen is my collection of chef-crafted organic spice blends made with only good-for-you ingredients. I use organic source spices, ancient mineral-rich Redmond Real Salt, prepare the blends listening to Kundalini mantra music, then charge the jars with the quartz Giza crystals for a true high vibration experience. You can now purchase my most requested blend, 11 Magic Herbs and Spices, on StarseedKitchen.com. Use code STARSEED for 10% off your purchase. Can't wait for you to enjoy. How, how can someone get their genes tested? Like you're explaining to learn mm -hmm. better how their body works. So we use a program called Opus 23 that was actually coded by Dr. D senior. He sat in his basement and banged out the most, the most elegant platform to analyze both the genes and the microbiome of a, an, an individual client. And the it's called a, a platform made by a physician for physicians because it's really supposed to make clinical decision-making like absolutely powerful. So what we do for our clients is we tell them to spit in a tube, send that tube out. And, and, and DNA is made up in, of uh, different base pairs of A's and G's and T's and C's. So once you spit in that tube, send it to a lab, the lab will actually just kick out a text file of the A's and the G's and the T's and the C's. We download that and we call it the raw data and we upload that to the platform, which then gives us the ability to um, look at individual genes and the SNPs involved because a lot of genes are, are multi-SNP. But then also we look, um, it gives us algorithms. So um, you know, an algorithm is something that kind of is, is multi-SNP and might pull from the microbiome and, and what it will do is it will generate a prediction. So, um, it might say, Hey, you have this gene that makes you more likely to, um, retain cortisol when you're stressed. And, uh, you know, you also have low levels of lactobacillus, which is associated with, uh, better cortisol signaling. So this is coming back true for you. And that's going to be one of the algorithms that we can then curate. So add to an individual individualized report for each client that we can then, uh, use to make decisions. That is so interesting. And then from there, are you able to then figure out the lifestyle changes the client needs to make, the self-care practices, the vitamin regimen? Is everything kind of stemmed from there or do you also have to do blood tests? Oh, I, I, I love a good blood test. I, so um, yes, short answer, yes. Um, because, you know, I, I think a lot of people rely on the genes to solve every problem, but I do think that the reason we are physicians is not just to look at genes. It's to also ensure that we are not doing harm. So what is a lab test really? It, a lab test is as much as I think people are interested in just kind of collecting metrics on themselves, to me, a lab test is, is a calculation of what am I trying to rule out? What am I concerned for? What, what is this person presenting as? And what are the, like, what are the outcomes that I need to be responsible for um, managing? And what are the decisions that I need to make actionable based on this blood work? So a lot of times we will, before someone even has their genomics, we'll run basic blood panels. So a metabolic panel, um, a blood count, we might look at some inflammatory markers, and then depending on what they're coming in for, we might, we might do some additional stuff, um, nutrient levels. And then the genomics then will say, okay, like I said earlier, you're anemic and uh, you had your colonoscopy recently. So that box is ticked and um, you don't have heavy menstrual periods. So that box is ticked. Let's look at your genes and see if you have uh, an issue absorbing it. So, so yeah, I would say, you know, the genomics is always the thing that can make, that can make the absolute most precise decision for you, but it's still, I, I think still the rigors of modern medicine are always going to be at the forefront of any decision that I make and that my colleagues make. So after you get all that information back about maybe what's going on internally with the patient, and then you've also collected everything that they are physically feeling and are capable of communicating to you. How do you guide them on adjusting their diet? Because that plays such a big role in our health. It's like the foundation, right? Like obviously stress and lifestyle are hugely important, but you have to kind of get the food and diet, you know, 
balance and, and find the things that work best for you. How mm-hmm. do you, how do you guide your clients on that? So diet for me is actually, first of all, non-negotiable. Like there is no getting around a bad diet. You can't out-exercise, you can't out-supplement, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot get around a bad diet. And um, in naturopathic medicine at large, we have something called the therapeutic, the therapeutic order. That's what it is. Oh my goodness. It's been a little while, but the therapeutic order is essentially kind of like the food pyramid, except basically it organizes decision-making that a naturopathic physician would do. So we start by ensuring that the basics for health are maintained. So uh, safety, diet, environmental exposures, and then, you know, restoring weakened systems. So where is someone inherently kind of weaker and and how are we going to support that? And then as you go up the list, eventually you say, okay, you need pharmaceutical intervention for this thing. So diet is one of those things for me. It's like, I can't get anywhere else until I have diet down pat for someone. And what I really love is in Opus, we can use something called a Swami 23. Mm-hmm. It's basically a personalized diet plan. So um, what it does is it curates all your genes. It will look at a couple of, 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 of basic genes that every single person gets run. So cholesterol, uh, metabolism and transport, vitamin A conversion abilities, carbohydrate metabolism. It looks at all these kind of parameters of, 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 of this person's kind of what happens when food goes in their body. Yeah. And it will make recommendations based on that. Like, does this person have a a predisposition for salt sensitive hypertension? Okay. This is going to be something we kick into the recommendations, but then the, the user. So the kind of driver myself in this case, I go in and I say, all right, this person, you know, has high cholesterol or this person has um, a gene that makes it very hard for them to detoxify the hydrocarbons made when you char or smoke meats. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we need to not have charred and smoked meats because they can be carcinogenic. So then it, what it kind of does is it, it just turns out this, it's like, I tell patients, it's like, take this document home. It's a big little packet. Take this document home sit down and pour yourself a cup of tea and read it like a magazine, make it casual. Like you don't need to have it down the first time you read it, just take a pen and go through, it goes by uh, food groups. So it'll say, you know, red meats, poultry, fish, grains, fruit, vegetables, and like where you lie in like the super beneficial. And even within that group, like there will be a special notation for when something specifically acts medicinally for you versus just your blood type or just your genes. And then specifically, what are you avoiding right now? And then within that group, what can you avoid and then reintroduce once we get the diet established in the body? And what I love about that too, is that it, um, it pulls heavily from microbiome data and the thing about the, it's called Utopia, the platform within Opus that we use to analyze the microbiome. And the thing about Utopia is it's it's different than kind of like the, the pathology-based gut tests that are on the market where it kind of just gives you a list of all like the bad, like how much E. coli you have, which is like great when someone's problem is in their gut. But like when the problem is really just the system, we want to actually know like how much good stuff you have. What, what good guys do you need? And, um, you know, so the way we operate with that kind of knowledge is actually not really by giving them a ton of herbs or antibiotics to just bomb out the bad guys. We use food to feed the ones that would outcompete. So there's a saying, you know, in the microbiome, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So if you have, if you have a lot of bad bacteria, if you have something called colincella, which one is, you know, one of the major drivers of something called leaky gut. Yes. We're not just going to give you an antibiotic specific for colincella. We're actually just going to feed the bugs that kind of nudge colincella out of the picture. We're also going to starve it. So you're going to avoid foods that feed or foods that have constituents that would feed colincella. So, um, so yeah, the personalized diet plan, I find, again, it's a non-negotiable for me, but the reason it's non-negotiable is because one of the kind of major philosophies, major paradigms that we operate in under as, as, as naturopaths is um, you know, we don't just suppress symptoms. So if diet is, is not just absolutely perfectly curated. And I mean, of course there's always, I'm, I'm never going to tell someone to follow what I say hundred percent, because I do think that can be one, a little triggering and two, it can make people afraid of enjoying things that might build community. So birthday party, birthday cake, things like that. But, um, you know, I, I really think like once we have those things down pat, it kind of clears the air and allows us to see what's actually going on. So someone might come to me and they have joint pains 
but they, they really just have incredibly high levels of Colincella. We measured the inflammatory markers and the levels of LPS, lipopolysaccharide, which is kind of an indicator of just how permeable your, your gut lining is. And, and that's off the chart. So we, we really honed in on getting rid of that colon cell and the joint pain's gone. So you don't need all the curcumin in the world. You don't need to see a rheumatologist because we've cleared the, we've cleared a path to actually see what the problem is. This is amazing. Like my mind is blown. And I feel like this is the dream come true for so many people that Mm -hmm. are constantly trying different foods to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Um, And that's always going to change throughout life. Uh, but how, so how does somebody connect with you or your practice to mm-hmm. get a personalized diet plan like this? What's that process like? Oh, I, I actually really love this process because we've recently kind of fine-tuned it. Yeah. What you do is you um, can email us. We have a, we have an amazing admin, Silvana, shout out, um, client services at genmedcenter. So G-E-N-M-E-D center.com. And you say, I'm interested in, in a personalized intake. And what you do is you get set up with a discovery phone call with either myself or Dr. Godo. And in that discovery phone call, we just do a shit ton of listening. Pardon my French, but we just, all we do is listen. And you just tell us how you feel, what's not worked for you, what's working for you. And in that moment, you come, you, you say, okay, I want to initiate like a, a patient provider relationship. And we say, all right, here's the here's how you're going to spit in the tube. Here's how you're going to get your microbiome. We also want these labs run. So we're going to order these labs for you. And then we schedule an appointment about six weeks out and we just go over everything. So Dr. Godo and myself for each patient, I mean, it's 20, 20 plus thousand genes. So it's, you know, it's time consuming and it's, it's amazing what you can find. And I think a lot of people, you, like you said yourself, I think it's kind of the missing link for a lot of people who don't feel good. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so. And I think um, it's just a level of service, um, that's very hard to find. And I think people are becoming more and more comfortable with going to people outside their personal position, um, for help. People are really interested in finding a naturopathic doctor that can take them to the next level. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is amazing. Um, especially as a personal chef, with clients who are always looking for ways to kind of tweak their diet that mm-hmm. takes it to the next level, then there's no question. You know exactly what you need at the moment. Um, how often do you suggest a client come back to you and have that refreshed? How many, so, how many years or, or months should go by? I, it's definitely, I mean, when I, when we say we're personalized medicine it is personalized down to like how many appointments each person has. If I feel like a case is needing more, more kind of observation or, or, or if someone is, is implementing something where we need to kind of track progress more acutely, we might have them come back in three months. And between that three month period, we say to our clients, like, you know, you've done the discovery call, you did the first patient intake, congratulations. Now you're officially part of our system. So you can contact us via messaging at any time and we'll get back to you. So you have us as resources. You can always say, Hey, doc, I got these labs. I want to make an appointment or, Hey doc, I'm not feeling good. I want to make an appointment. And, um, so, but then, you know, a lot of other patients of ours, they'll just do a one year thing. Mm-hmm. They'll just, they'll just show up every one year with, you know, a list of things that have gone down and we'll just say, okay, I got you. Like, this is what we're going to do. And they're off on their merry way. Um, something I've noticed as a physician is, um, there seems to be this like strange kind of metaphysical thing that happens where I, I will, I will be like, you know, fixing a shelf in my apartment and I'll think about someone and then they'll show up on the books or they'll, they'll, they'll ask a question. So yeah, we're always kind of just doing our thing, caring for people. And are you able to work with clients with telemedicine and remotely, or do a majority of your clients come to you in person? I would say it's 50-50. Dr. Goto is entirely telemedicine because she's in the beautiful state of Hawaii. Uh, I see patients in person and I see patients via telemedicine. So I find I find it's actually a pretty even split, I would say. A lot of the, the patients I see in person are the ones who are just, they love, they love the interaction. They love the space, but then also they benefit. I benefit as a physician because you know when, when, when you and me are, are, are Zooming and you say, hey, I have a rash that just came up. I have to look at it through a screen. Like I have to trust that it looks and feels the way it does. And of course I trust you, but I mean, I I can't look at it to be sure that it's like that ish. I mean, 
whatever it is. But like the physical exam for me is one of the most, um, one of the most critical moments for gathering data because the body just shows what's going on or what's not. So you can be like, okay, cool. We're not, we're not worried about that. And, um, so yeah, it's definitely 50, 50 and we do, we see patients all over the world, which is wild. That's amazing. And nice that no matter where you move in the world, you can always check back in with the same, you know, practitioner that has supported you. That's like the greatest benefit ever that we're in a place now that wherever you can go, you can still use the resources that you trust and that make you feel good. Yeah. I think that the benefits of that are immeasurable, I think. And it shows for people because that rapport is um, for us top priority. And for a lot of like-minded physicians, it's top priority. And and to to have that be something that is not impacted by a change in location is, is groundbreaking. So you mentioned that there's different like additional modalities that you like your clients to look into just to help improve their lifestyle and their health. You mentioned like hydrotherapy. Do you have, and you mentioned, I think infrared light too. Do you guys have anything at your office that you have clients use while they visit you? Or do you suggest people find those, um, those modalities kind of in their, their neighborhood? So we, since the clinic just opened, we're pretty bare bones right now, but the plan is to expand to include hydrotherapy because I do think that is one of the most, I mean, it's one of the most, just for lack of a better word, it's the coolest thing ever. Hydrotherapy is just like the practice of using water therapeutically. So um, kind of like athletes, they they take ice baths to reduce inflammation. Now we know that cold exposure is is just amazing for the nervous system. Um, it, it's using hot and cold. So hot kind of, we, we, we use to do the opposite of cold. So, um, using these two temperatures kind of very intentionally to impact physiology, to change blood flow, to improve blood flow, to move blood flow, to, um, stimulate contractions of the gut. And so there's something called constitutional hydrotherapy, which was um, initially conceived of by a man named O.G. Carroll, when he just found that if you alternate hot and cold on the, on the, on the abdomen, mm-hmm. while also delivering a very, a very subtle pulsed sine wave, so an electrical current, you can actually increase peristalsis in the gut. And that signals to the body that the parasympathetic nervous system is is active, which is, I mean, so difficult for the average human being to get into the parasympathetic rest and digest point, um, just given today's demand. And so hydrotherapy is, is amazing one, because it engages that side of our nervous system that we just, some of us can't fall into very easily, but it also can really improve digestion, really improve gut motility, really improve the amount that, or, or, or just the, the skill with which we move a bolus of food through our body. So for people who struggle with constipation or whatever it may be, it can really be something that really just improves motility for them. Something I also love that we're going to have soon is hydrogen methane breath testing, which is just like I would take the microbiome sample to see what's in the large intestine. Some people, and this is becoming more and more common these days, have something called SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is like your gut bacteria, mainly the not good ones have moved out of your large intestine and into your small intestine where it's way too early for them to be fermenting your food. And that's what a lot of our gut bacteria does. Ultimately it digests food for us and and, and farts out gas. So um, people with SIBO find that they eat food and they just get bloated. They get gassy. They might experience diarrhea or constipation. Um, kind of the, the major theory right now is that IBS, whether it's IBS mixed constipated or diarrhea, uh, is actually small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So like I said, when we eat certain foods, our, our gut bacteria will chow down on them and, and will release gases as a byproduct. And they're either hydrogen or methane or sulfur hydrogen sulfide. So when someone breathes into a a hydrogen methane breath test, what they're doing is essentially sending this machine a sample of of what's going on when they ferment foods. So um, what you do is you administer a small amount of food substrate and you time how long it takes for them to come up positive, if at all. So if you don't have SIBO, you would not come up positive because you're, you're not you're not fermenting negatively, but some people, you know, will take a sample and then they'll be breathing out positive very, very fast. And you'll know, okay, this is, this is small intestinal and it's, it's very high. So we know it's quite pronounced. 
So it's a nice way to kind of complete the picture gastrointestinally because there is no gut test that we do via a swab or a stool sample on the market that can test the small intestine because once it goes to the small intestine, it goes to the large intestine. So the sample will always be obscured. So that breath test can be majorly helpful for a lot of people. And then you can actually kind of dig deeper into say, okay, let, let's let's settle this IBS once and for all, because now we know the type of bug, generally speaking. So here are certain measures we can do to you know get rid of them. This is so fascinating. I, I've loved every minute of learning from you. Um, and it's just so nice to hear that there's so many options for answers to people's mm-hmm. health questions. Um, I think a lot of people have just felt like they keep finding kind of dead ends and you just revealed to me that there's so much information that's still to be learned about our bodies and there's a way to capture that information. So thank you so much for chatting. I so appreciate it. Um, so how can people contact you, find center for generative medicine, um, Mm -hmm. and get in touch or just you know, follow you and your teachings. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. I am Emily ND on Instagram and center for generative medicine just launched our website. So you can go to genmedcenter.com and you can actually fill out a form on our website that, you know, kicks right into our email messaging system that either expresses interest, or if you have a question, like that is a great way to reach us. We also our phone number is 203, of course. Oh, let me find this for you. That's our okay. Phone- it's brand new. I know. It's so funny. I like have these post-it notes all over the office of our phone number and I'm still making calls. It's like, where's the post-it note? Um, all right. It's 203-489-0506. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time and for being on the show today. And Thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. And if you'd like to see more information about the podcast or find different avenues to listen to it, it's always on iHeartRadio app, on Spotify, on Apple, clips are on YouTube, and you can always visit the Starseed Kitchen website to learn more as well. And Dr. D, thank you so much for your time. Um, Anytime there's anything new you want to share, please let me know so you can come back on and and share it with our audience. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Whitney. I've had such a good time. All right. Well, thank you and keep in touch. Will do. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Starseed Kitchen podcast. For more Starseed Kitchen, visit our website at starseedkitchen.com and follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Be sure to pick up a jar of my high vibration foods, organic spices, which you can purchase on starseekitchen.com. And you can find me and follow along on my cooking adventures on all your favorite social media channels at Whitney Aronoff. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.